his son, was a reserve deputy sheriff killed in the line of duty, along with a reserve sergeant killed by a drunk driver in 1993. He's here to talk about the death of his son, the impact on him and his family, and how it motivated him to do what he does to help others today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Calling us from Oregon, we have Jim Whitehead on the phone. Jim is an active volunteer with Oregon Concerns of Police Survivors, also known as COPS, C-O-P-S. His son, Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead, was killed in the line of duty, along with Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins on February 26, 1993, by a drunk driver. Jim, I appreciate you coming on, telling your story, because quite honestly, we really rarely ever get to hear from survivors. Well, thank you for uh, reaching out. It's a difficult conversation to have. And I'll be honest with you, Jim, I never know what to say. And I, part of me is fearful of saying the wrong thing. And and I have a friend of mine whose husband worked for me in the police department. And he was killed on line of duty. And I, I had her on the show a long time ago. And she said, the worst thing you can do is just not talk to me. The worst stuff's already happened. You can't make it worse. So, and that's, that's what we tell Anybody, you know, it's, uh, I, I have to tell you, after my son was killed, that first Christmas, my family always gets together. So we went out there, we gathered around, and we were there for two and a half hours. And I finally had to say, you know what? Not one of you has mentioned Mark. He was killed 10 months ago, and you won't even mention his name. And, of course, they said what everybody says. I didn't know what to say. Right. You know what? <laughs> you really don't have to worry about what you say. If you say something wrong, uh, we'll let you know. But in all my years of being involved, with, I've never known anybody to say something wrong. We just want somebody to talk to us. That was what she said. The worst thing I could do is ignore her. She said, look, if you want to talk about football, let's talk about football. You want to talk about fishing, we'll talk about fishing. If I need to talk about... In his case, his name was Billy. We'll talk about Billy. If I don't want to talk about him, I'll let you know. But the worst thing you can do is just cut me off. And that's what happens far too often. There's a lot of attention paid during the death, a lot of attention during the funeral, all those sorts of things. And then all of a sudden, people start to go their separate ways. Exactly. When Mark was killed, uh, we happened to go out to a local restaurant, my wife and I. And it was about, I don't know, maybe a month after he was killed. And there, were, there was a table where a bunch of reserves that we knew that from Mark were sitting and eating. They didn't acknowledge us when we went in. They didn't acknowledge us when we went out. So I went back in and I said, you know what? You guys worked with Mark and you didn't even mention his name or acknowledge us. It was the same thing. We didn't know what to say. Well, saying nothing hurts a whole lot worse than you just saying, hey, we miss Mark. 
you know, the truth is, Jim, I've been a coward about this for a long time. And I think a lot of people are because two, two reasons. Number one, there's the fear of saying and doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And the other one is addressing the elephant in the room. If this could happen to him, it could happen to me. I know as a law enforcement family, my mother told me long after I retired, she lost a lot of sleep over my career. I never really realized the impact I had on her or my sisters. I was so wrapped up in me, I didn't really pay attention. But the truth is, if we really thought about what could happen and all the harm that could happen, we never leave our patrol cars and we never leave the station. You, you think that stuff will happen to someone else. It won't happen to me. Yep. So true, Jay. So true. And yet, it happened to you and your family. Yes, it did. And it, uh, I have to tell you, the the, uh, the night that it happened, uh, Mark was, as he was going out to work, he said, well, and I'm taking off for patrol. And then he said, Dad, you know what? Because he was a, a music teacher, teacher who was a very accomplished clarinetist. He played for the Oregon Youth Philharmonic and traveled in Europe with him. But he said, Dad, you know, I think I, think I want to go into police work full time. And my words to him were, Mark, I really don't want you to go into police work full-time because you could get killed. Those were my last words to him, thinking that policemen only got killed by getting shot. I didn't realize till years later that 25% of law enforcement officers are killed by drunk drivers. Yeah. So anyhow, that's how, that's how ours started. And, um, yeah, it was a killer. Well, your son, Mark Allen Whitehead, he was a reserve deputy. Now, the department I came from, we didn't have reserves. Reserve is at a part-time position? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, they worked um, as many hours as they could, unpaid. Uh, they did it. Um, well, most of the reserves, I think their goal ultimately was to become full-time employed. And that, well, that was their foot in the door. And... Uh, at the time that he was here, uh, Multnomah County had quite a few reserves. And uh, when Mark and Scott were killed, uh, that was the first line of duty death Multnomah County had had in 50 years. And, uh, of course, it happens to be two reserves, but uh, when an agency uh, gets hit with two deaths at one time, and this is their first in 50 years, they're scrambling. Quite often they don't know what to do. And exactly. Here's the thing. We had policies and procedures, and I, I say this, but we were used to it in Baltimore. Yep. And some of the cities and the East Coast where it happens quite often, you become used to it. And I'll be totally honest with you. I'm surprised it doesn't happen more, especially with the auto accidents. And yep. I say the word accident, I'm air quoting here because in the case of your son, he was killed by a drunk driver. And you and I, we're not young men. And we've been going at least the last 30 years, I could think of, constant bombardment of don't drive while you're drinking. Don't drive under the influence. Drunk driving. You're going to get arrested. You're going to kill people. People make a decision to drink and then make a decision to drive. It's not an accident. It's an on purpose. Yeah, we've, we said that right after Mark got killed. Uh, we call it a crash. It wasn't an accident. Uh, my goodness, the guy had... Way, way too well. He had a BAC of 0.22. That should tell you something. And he's going down the freeway over 100 miles an hour. Something good is not going to happen. No, it's going to be bad. We're talking with Jim Whitehead. Jim's son was Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead. 
He and Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins were killed by a drunk driver February 26, 1993. When we return to our conversation with Jim, we're going to talk about his perspective of the incident, the immediate aftermath, his life afterwards, and how it motivates what he does today. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. Has this ever happened to you? You sign up for a free email newsletter, and within hours, you're receiving tons of spam. That won't happen when you subscribe for the free Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. We won't spam you. No more than two emails a week. I promise. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Jim Whitehead. He's calling us from Oregon. He is a member of Concerns of Police Survivors. His son, Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead, along with Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins, were killed by a drunk driver in a crash February 26, 1993. Earlier in the conversation, Jim, you talked about your son was reserve. He did this part-time. He is a volunteer, and he said he wanted to go full-time into law enforcement and he was a music teacher, and he said he was a, a rather accomplished musician. He could do a lot of different things, and yet he volunteered to put his life on a line as a law enforcement officer. That's true, and uh, as I told you earlier, Dad wasn't really excited about that. Look, m- my mother wasn't, my father wasn't, uh, may he rest in peace. I remember I wanted to be a priest for a long time, and when I realized that, that I didn't have the vocation, I didn't have the calling, they said, what do you want to do now? And I was like, I want to be a cop. They're, they both like almost fell out of their chairs. They're like, what are you kidding? Because I didn't come from that background. And you're a teacher. You, Your son didn't come from that background either. He chose this. Yep. And uh, I, I remember after after he was killed, his uh, FTO talked to me and he said, you know what? I tried to talk Mark out of it. He was too nice of a kid. I felt that you know law enforcement would, would jade him too much. But he said he loved it, and there's nothing you can do. I, I kind of decided, you know, it gets in your blood. There's nothing you can do about it. They're kind of right. You know, there came a point where I didn't know if I could do this. I didn't know if I was strong enough mentally, physically, physically tough enough at the time. The physical toughness was not the biggest factor. It was the mental, emotional toughness and yeah. resilience. But then you get kind of addicted to it, and it becomes part of your DNA. And I don't know how to describe it, but there came a point where I couldn't imagine doing anything else. That's all I can say is, yeah, I just think it got into his blood. I mean, some of the, what what they do in law enforcement, it was a challenge to him. It invigorated him and it got his juices going. And uh, I, we, we, used, we always kept his, um, the radio on. Uh, we, so we knew what he was doing and where he was going. And one night um, he was involved in a, trying to catch up with a drunk driver. By the way, drunk drivers were just a 
with Mark, that was it. If you get pulled over by Mark for drunk driving, you're probably going to be in deep trouble because he had no use for it. So that was one of the ironies of him getting killed by a drunk driver. But we we could hear what he was doing, and I know when he was following that drunk driver, and I could hear the sirens, and I could hear the radio talk, that just, I guess that was a little more exciting to him than being in a classroom uh, with a bunch of kids conducting a band. I do not know. Before his last shift, you said you had a conversation with him that was kind of poignant and ironic. Yep. I had said to him, I, he said, that I, I just want you to know, I, I think I'm going to go into law enforcement full-time. He said, I, I'd like to get on with Migration PD, which is the city in which we live. And that's when I said, Mark, I really don't want you to do that because you could get killed. And then he went to work, and it's like every other day he went to work, not a big deal. When did you become aware that something was critically wrong? I had been up at the high school where I worked, uh, timing a girls' basketball game. And it got over about 9.15, and I got in my car and headed home, and I had the radio on. And they had a, a bulletin come on telling us that the freeway was closed both ways because there had been a crash involving a, a law enforcement officer. And they said uh, a, a, a trooper was killed. And I, you know, I, I thought, well, troopers, that's Oregon State. They call theirs troopers. I didn't think much about it. And then I got a little further home, and then they came on again because they were coming on about every four minutes telling people that it was closed. Then he came on again and said, you know, there's been a crash, freeways closed, except this time he said there's been at least one officer killed. And I thought, that's interesting. He went from trooper to officer. And just as I pulled into my driveway, they did it again, and they said this time there were two deputies killed. Well, I thought, uh, well, Multnomah County, that's all they have is deputies. The other counties around us have deputies too, but they wouldn't have been patrolling that area. So I went in the house, and I said to my wife, what's going on? Because she had the radio on. He said, I, she said, I don't know. There's something. Something's happened because they just keep talking about this, and they keep changing channels. And so I said, you know, I just had a really sick feeling that Mark might have been one of those involved in that. She said, oh, no. She said, mothers have a feeling for that. And I said, well, I hope you're right, but I just don't feel good about it. I said, how about... If you call the um, the agent, the, play, the um, dispatcher, and see if Mark was one of those that was involved, because the crash occurred at about eight thirty p.m., and by now it's a quarter to ten, and we haven't heard anything. So she did. She called, and dispatcher said, "You know, uh, well, what car was he in?" Well, he. He was normally in car three, so we said, my wife said, car three. And she said, well, let me check. She said, well, no, it wasn't car three. So my my wife said, it wasn't Mark. I said, I I know Mark well enough. If this didn't involve him, he would have called us by now and said, don't worry. I know something's happened but it didn't involve me, and we didn't call. So by this time, I was literally sick. I was throwing up, and uh, I, when I got through the room, I said to my wife, would you call the dispatcher again? And so she did, and she, the dispatcher, there was a pause 
and we now know what the pause was because we talked to the dispatcher at one of the memorial services, and she said, the reason I paused was I, I turned to my supervisor and said, it's his mother again. What shall I tell her? And what she told my wife was, they are in the process of notifying the families. So I said, okay, it, it has to have involved Mark. Well, the 10 o'clock news came on, and we were watching the news. And, of course, this is the lead story. And I knew both the anchor and the reporter, because I had worked with them when I was on the school board. And the anchor said to the reporter on this scene, her name was Elisa Kayser, and he said, uh, do we know who it was? And she said, no, they aren't releasing names, but we do know that it was reserve deputies. Oh. Uh, that was it for me. I just waited, and about uh, half an hour later, they... Uh, they showed up? They showed up. We're going to take a short break. We're talking with Jim Whitehead. Jim is a member of Oregon Concerns of Police Survivors, his son, Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead, and Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins were killed in line of duty by a drunk driver in 1993. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to listen to a favorite Law Enforcement Today episode again? Or chat directly with John J. Wiley? Now you can. Download Podopolo for free on either app store and send John J. Wiley a DM right on the app. That's P-O-D-O-P-O-L-O, Podopolo. Let's start a conversation with Jim Whitehead calling us from Oregon. He's a member of Cops, Concerns of Police Survivors from Oregon, his son, Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead. And Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins were killed February 26, 1993, in a crash involving a drunk driver. Before we went to break, you, you started talking about, Jim, getting the notification. You had a sick feeling in your stomach. You, you knew already. And yeah. then what happened? Well, the um, as, as I said before, the dispatcher had told us that it wasn't Mark, and then we ultimately found out that it was. And um, then the news came on, and the news anchor and the reporter on the scene, the news anchor asked the reporter if they knew the names, and she said, no, but we do know that it was two reserve deputies. And that was about 10 o'clock in the evening. And so I I went down to my wife, because she was in the basement, I was upstairs, I said, well, it was Mark. I mean, I was literally sick. So I thought, now we got to wait to be notified. And I did. I stood at our window upstairs and I walked and I saw the county sheriff's car pull up in front. And I saw two guys walk and get out and they never raised their heads and they walked up my stairs. And um, I opened the door and they're standing there looking at me. And I just said, you have bad news for me, don't you? And one of them said, I'm sorry. 
I can I can remember everything about that night except what happened in the next 30 seconds. I do not remember because one of the deputies said, he said, you dropped to your knees and you just, the sound you made sounded like a wounded animal. He said, I've never heard anything like that in my life. I don't ever want to hear it again. When I got myself together, I stood up, said to the two deputies, I have some calls to make. Because by then you're in shock. I mean, you're going on whatever the there is, and I did. I got up and called my siblings and my mom and uh, told them what had happened. And then about 15, maybe 20 minutes after that, the sheriff and the chaplain came and um, expressed their condolences. I, my wife said to them, was the other guy a drunk driver? And they said yes, and for some odd reason, because I had seen the when they were talking to the reporter who was on the scene, I could see the car in the distance, and I said, "Was Mark decapitated?" And there was a moment of silence, and they said, "Yes, he was." And both Mark and well, Mark was uh, Scott wasn't decapitated, but the drunk driver was going so fast, and where it happened. The freeway had a grassy median, and he was, they said, going in excess of 100 miles an hour. He hit the median, and his car bounced, and the top of his, the bottom of his car sheared off the top of the, the squad car. And that's the last picture we have. We were never allowed to see Mark. We weren't allowed to see his body. And I understand why they did that, but knowing what I know now, and having been involved with cops as long as I have, I would tell any law enforcement agency, let that be the family's decision. Don't you tell them, because we met, we imagine all kinds of things. And I did. they did give me photos from the crash scene, although they had sanitized them pretty well. But they left one in there. I don't know if they realized it, but they left a, a um, negative in there. And I could see what happened, and I could see Mark's brain spread all over the trunk of the car. This is such a hard conversation to have. I I applaud you for having the courage to tell the story. Because I'll be honest with you, Jim, there are parts of my experience that I really don't want to talk about. There are things from my police experience that, even with other cops, I don't talk about. And I certainly don't talk about in the radio show. And the thought of coming on and having this kind of intimate, heavy-duty conversation about what happened is something I don't think I could do. So my hat's off to you for doing that. When you said earlier, let it be the family's decision, what they want to see, what kind of things they want to expose to, I really appreciate that. I remember being a young patrolman, and we always did death notifications in person. We never did them by phone. And an example, one in particular, I was working midnight shift. I got a call to call the dispatcher. I did. They said, go to this address, locate Mr. and Mrs. Brown. And I'm using an example name. And if it's, you find them, you have to let them know their 23-year-old son, John, was as an example, was killed in a car accident in Ohio. And you knock on the people's door at 1 o'clock in the morning. And here I was. I was like 22 years of age. And I really, I thought I knew a lot, but nothing prepared me for that conversation. Mm-hmm. And there's... 
I, I feel for the sheriff, the people that made the notification. I don't want to be in her shoes ever. I never had to be. And I feel for you and your wife. I never want to be in a position. But part of me just weeps internally for everybody. Yep. There's no winners in this. Never, no one walked away from this. Okay. Even the even the drunk, drunk driver died. I mean, I, and I thank the Lord for that because we didn't have to go through trials and stuff like Jay, this guy had six prior Dewey convictions. They weren't just tickets, they were convictions. And yet he had a valid driver's license. To this day, I do not understand that. There's a lot of things I don't understand. And one of them is, and a big part of your story is going to be, this is not something you and your wife planned on. This is, how old was Mark when he was killed? He was 26. So he was a young man. Okay. We don't expect young s- children of ours mm-hmm. to die. My my daughters are 32 and 33. That thought mm-hmm. never enters my mind. But to have that become your sudden reality, there's no there's like life before and life after. And that's that generally is how we look at it. Everything we do, we say before Mark died, this happened. After Mark died, and his mom had had health issues for years, and I, I really believe his death accelerated her death because she died at 57, and she never got over Mark's death. And people who, I have to tell you a quick story. One of the girls that worked with Mark played for him when he did solos, and we had never met her. And she stopped by our house one day to pick something up, and she was talking to my wife, and I walked in the kitchen, and she turned around, and she turned ashen white. The blood drained out of her. She said, when she got herself together, I had no idea you and Mark looked so much alike. And uh, I've often thought, every day my wife had to see that. I was a reminder of, because he was my twin. So, I mean, (laughs) there's more than just dealing with the death. There's the long-term effects, and I'll always believe her death was accelerated by his. I don't doubt it one bit. And I, I really don't understand how people find a way to build their lives afterwards because this is such a devastating thing to have happen. And I understand because I've been a member of COPS since the late, late 1980s. And I understand the value of what they do. I don't understand how people that are survivors get involved and, and this becomes a mission for them to help others. When we return, we're going to talk more with Jim Whitehead about life after the death of his son, Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead, who was killed in drunk driving crash along with Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins. He's been a member of Oregon Concerns of Police Survivors for a very long time. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show with a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click, like, and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. Are you wondering where you can find more great podcasts? 
head to letradioshow.com, click Be Heard, and discover other fantastic podcasts like this one. Also available on our free app, all at letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Jim Whitehead calling us from Oregon. His son, Reserve Deputy Sheriff Mark Allen Whitehead, and Reserve Sergeant Scott Collins were killed in a drunk driving crash February 26, 1993. Before we went to break, Jim, you're talking about the death of your son, in your opinion, hastened the death of your wife. She had health issues before, but it was too much. Yep. She just, she couldn't get over it. And I understand that. I mean, he was our oldest, and I think that he, more than anybody, understood his mother. And uh, when she was really sick, he's the one that would be going in the bedroom and sitting beside the bed and kneeling down and talking to her and asking her how she was doing. And there was no more. I'm glad you brought up Mark before, because one of the questions I have is, and I've gotten this from many survivors, their big fear is that that person will be forgotten. Uh, Tell us about Mark. What kind of a guy was he? Mark, as I told you, was a very accomplished uh, musician. He was a clarinetist. He had all kinds of friends. Mark was one of those people that um, if, if you had a problem, he'd listen to you. If you needed something, he would take care of it for you. Uh, he worked that all in with working on his his master's in teaching. He was a well-rounded kid for somebody that was 26, probably a little uh, more advanced beyond his years than some 26-year-olds that I know now. And um, he'd have done anything for anybody. And I guess that's one of the reasons I didn't want him to go into law enforcement, because as his his FTO said, it'll change him. And uh, up to the point where he was killed, it hadn't changed him. I mean, he still loved, loved people, loved doing what he did, but as I said, that Law enforcement got in his blood, and there was no way Dad was going to talk him out of it. Right. There's no way Dad's going to talk any sense into him. I have a daughter who at one point said, hey, I want to apply for the Buffalo, New York Police Department and take the test. And I was like, oh, no. I'd rather have the talk about the birds and the bees than have that talk, <laughs> to be totally honest with you. And unfortunately, Jim, she decided it wasn't for her, and part of me praise and thanks God every night that that wasn't the case. And uh, and I, I love police. I love our law enforcement people. They're the best people I've ever met in my life, and I will always support them. I will always defend them. Having said that, when the worst happens, in this case, people say words like closure. Uh, I think it came up a conversation at one point. They also th- say things like justice. And I personally don't believe there are such things. I think there is, like we said earlier, life before he was killed and life after he was killed. In your opinion, have you gotten any closure out of this? You know, um, if somebody wants to set me off, they'll say, have you gotten closure? No, because closure doesn't exist. Years ago, I, I wrote a news letter for Oregon cops, which I distributed. I, I was the regional trustee for national cops, so I had five states. And I, I wrote an article, and it was, I wrote, the title was, There Is No Closure. And I went on to explain, first off, what the word closure means. But second off, to the best of my knowledge, the word closure was coined by some 
counselor psychologist. How they came up with that, I don't know. But th- there is no closure. You don't. I don't know what you want. They want you to do. They want you to forget. The, no, you can't forget. You incorporate it to your life. In your life, it's part of your story now. But that's not closure. And if they want me to say, uh, I'll never talk about him again, and everything's well, that's not going to happen. And I don't blame you one bit. I knew the answer. I knew what the answer was going to be. I, I tell people this. My father died of lung cancer probably 29 years ago. And a totally different scenario. Yep. It doesn't hurt any less today. You just get more used to it. Yep. There's and no, like, all of a sudden, life is happily ever afterwards. And yep. it's, you, you, you deal with it. And I don't know how you deal with it. But part of it drives what you do with concerns of police survivors. And that's a unique group that no one wants to be part of. Yep, this is one of those clubs that you don't want to be initiated into. And uh, when actually, when Mark and Scott were killed, it was uh, about six months after an Oregon State trooper had been killed, uh, Brent Clodfelter. And Oregon cops, the folks in Oregon, we knew his widow really well. She was a good friend of ours because she was a reserve with Multnomah County. So when Brett got killed, we got a, kind of a small taste. Little did we know we were going to get the whole meal. And um, that was the, um, I would say, probably the seed for the starting of Oregon cops because Brent was killed in September of 92. And by November of 93, we started cops. There were 10 of us involved, 10 of us and eight of us from just two families. I don't know. Just... It's quite right. His wife, um, Brett's wife, Renee, could never get over Brett's death, and she took her own life. And that was, we struggled through that while we were forming our chapter. And as I said, the chapter was formed in 93, and I got, I just went into cops. Both feet, so did my wife. We were also involved with MAD because of drunk driving, but COPS was our primary focus. And then um, five years after our chapter was started, I served on the national board for five years, so I was really into it. And the reason that my wife and I continued to do it was we knew we knew what it was like, and when you would see those survivors, especially at National Police Week, just absolutely believing that there is no hope that life has ended that's what drove us on because we could say you know what we've been there we don't know what you feel like but we know some of the pain and you know if you want to talk we'll listen if you want to scream at us you can scream at us but that was what helped us along helping other folks and that continues to be uh the impetus and i I haven't mentioned my other son but this this was a real oh, oh gosh he he just did not handle it well at all, and there were some real struggles with uh, with him, and he finally got over it. But I remember him telling me one time, Dad, when Mark was alive, he was the one that got all the focus because of, not from us, but from his music and everything else. And so now he gets killed, and it's still about Mark. So he had some things that we had to work through with him. So and people say, well, it's, it's just, 
it's just you know it's not the ripple effect is damaging all the way and fortunately uh, Matthew our youngest has gotten very very good he's um, got his act together he's a music teacher also so uh, but it it's hard any way you look at it it's hard and I have to ask this it sounds like many people when these things happen they want to be coming close with other first responders are involved uh, and because they have a unique bond that you really can't describe. Has that been the case for you? Yeah, we didn't get quite as involved uh, with the first responders. We were very close to the Collins family and uh, with another lady whose husband had been killed before, Mark and Scott. But I guess because of what happened with us, with the reserves at the restaurant that night, we just weren't going to put ourselves out for that again right, for anybody else. And that's why we probably stuck more with putting all of our energy into cops. Is there a website for the Oregon cops? Yes, we're in, yes and we're in the process of upgrading it. So if you try and get on, uh, it might refer you back to something. But it's called copsoregon.org. And also, there is the National Cops. Check out their website as well. And yes. Jim, I want to thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. I, I wish there was something. I'm not going to say something trite, something cute to make it, to wrap this whole thing up in a bow and say it's all wonderful because it's not. It's a hard conversation to have. And I really, really greatly appreciate you having with us. Thank you for giving me a chance to share what a whole lot of um line of duty death survivors have and that they don't get to tell everybody and i thank you i thank you for what you do i thank you for your radio show um, but thank you again for letting people know that it doesn't just stop at the funeral i'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the law enforcement today radio show the law enforcement today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing if you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple of days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.